Ah, yeah. So, because I think for context, I uh, what are you looking at? This oh, yeah. So for uh, context, like I wrote this article this week about why we decided to kind of start investing in seed as opposed to what we originally want to do was like Series A's. You know, you guys already. So the 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 theory was that you know we felt that valuation was getting too hot in absolute terms, and so we didn't have the fund size to get there because we thought that if the valuations are very hot and then there's downturn in global markets, if you're investing late stage, then you get kind of squeezed out in your returns. And I think that thinking is solid. I think what I may have like let myself down and pissed off a few founders is the mechanism I used to do that, which is to benchmark the size of uh, companies. So terminal valuations, exit valuations, uh, of regional companies compared to uh, US companies, yeah. public companies, and then do that calculation by GDP. So say like seven, the MENA GDP is 7.5% of US GDP, hence, you know, um, the regional uh, equivalent of company X would be 7.5% size of company Y. So I got, I got some good feedback, obviously, from investors, other investors who thought that was a great idea. But then a few founders were really like not happy with me. And they were saying, well, what you're showing is that, you know, we're capped in terms of upside. Um, capped in terms of upside. It shows us that we're all overvalued and like stuff like that. Um, so, but I got some good like rationale as to why that's probably wrong. Like basically as to why, what went wrong in that analysis. So the first thing is that um, this is based on today's multiples which are really low, like the market has tanked. Yeah. So based on today's multiples, this is the kind of the terminal valuation. So these are, it's, it, multiples now are like at record lows, right? Um, if you were to go back like six, seven, eight months ago, then you would have uh, absolute figures corresponding to the regional terminal value much, much, much higher. So that's one thing. The other thing, which was, I think, interesting was that and, I didn't and, and just to like add to that, it's also the multiples of today are not representative of the multiples of the future. Exactly. Which yeah. is more important, perhaps. Yeah. I think I was trying to explain like a trajectory using a snapshot. And that's, I think, where it got lost translation. What I was trying to say is relative, I mean, just like, you know, very lazy way to compare like values is this GDP thing. Yeah. But in reality, um, there's a lot more going on. It's, and you think today's snapshot was supposed to be in the future or even six months ago. So if you took six or eight months ago, the values, the corresponding values of regional companies would be like much, much larger. And so, but the point is not the absolute number. It's just like the, you know, the idea of how to invest um, uh, and how to kind of allocate capital across uh, a portfolio, whether you're doing seed or A, if you're at the top of the market, Whatever that top is, right? That was kind of my point. Mm -hmm. The other thing I got back was to say... Which is the a good point, point is valid. Which point? The point on, uh, that you were attempting to make. Yeah, yeah. I think the overall point is that I think the way I described it probably like... Can, you can seem like I'm really kind of negative on what regional companies can become. Like their which size. is not the case. Which is not the case. Like really believe that like you can outperform. But if you take a lazy way of doing it, which is to benchmark against GDP, and you take today's multiples, it maybe shows like very small contraction, yeah. but it's not about the snapshot. It's about yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting and got back, which is say like a lot of these companies that are uh, U.S. focused, they typically are in a much more competitive market, so they have much smaller market share, 
whereas the winners here tend to have much bigger market share. So that's kind of like another good point that I failed to kind of incorporate. Yeah. But I think the overall, uh, you know, the, the, the concept is valid, meaning like the way we shifted investing to early stage, I think, was maybe a good call, but we won't know till like later. So I think that was the... Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I think, I think another interesting point is that, you know, our region, like if we drill this, forget about macro uh, and all of that, if we translate this back to the, the probability of successful fundraisers uh, during this environment and thereafter, I think there's an argument to be made that our companies are on more solid foundational footing mm -hmm. as a result of that because historically we've had a gap at series b and series c and beyond um, like in terms of sourcing regional capital to fulfill those rounds as a result of that a lot of companies have had to and have been forced to have been bred to put an emphasis on unit economic health yeah. um, which means that they're they're fundamentally stronger businesses so i think there there can be the argument that there have been a lot of inflated valuations um, in the U.S., which has trickled down to the rest of the world. But I would say that in other markets, that delta between perceived value and, and intrinsic value um, six months ago potentially is higher in more competitive markets where there is much more robust access to capital across all stages. Right? Meaning that the companies here are foundationally more solid. The winners that have have six months ago would have had a high probability of raising a B or a C. Um, so I think that's an interesting twist on it, right? Like uh, perhaps there's a hypothesis that our companies are in better shape to weather a storm, right? Yeah, I always like the, this. I mean, it's worth kind of talking about maybe now it's, um, it's a moment where you're getting a shakeup, right? And typically companies that come through this are stronger and more yeah. effective. And companies that are formed here during these kind of downturns tend to be quite resilient and effective and like disruptive and innovative. So, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe we should talk a little bit about like you know, market, the whole market's like tanking, right? Mm -hmm. uh, tech is, tech multiples collapsing. I saw that like SaaS multiples now are, you know, 5.6x forward revenue. Yeah. Whereas they used to be at like 25 yeah. and like 30, or, you know, yeah. just like a year ago. Um, but then across the board, it's the same kind of across the board. And, you know, I wonder what it means for, you know, our founders here and companies in this part of the world. But right now it seems okay, but it's, the valuations are likely to kind of trickle. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's gonna, it's like, uh, I think the sequencing of it is also important to discuss, right? Like, uh, I think the sequencing is probably gonna follow the same trend that we're witnessing now in the US, meaning that later stage companies are getting affected first and then it's slowly moving um, upstream all the way up to seed. So yeah. you, don't, you don't see it yet in seed because the cycles you are don't. different. Yeah, yeah, you don't. So we're only seeing based on last quarter and yeah. later stage. Uh, yeah. But I think it will go like pretty much all the way yeah. through, but mm. in that sequencing, which is logical. Right? Yeah. And maybe that delta on, on six month value versus today value or whenever this happens value is going to be the largest at the later stage. Right? That, yeah, that most is, likely. That, yeah. Is, that is more than likely fair to assume. There's also like less capital. In aggregate, there's capital for late stage in MENA, but there are less players. So there's less competitive tension. Yeah. Whereas the early stage is a ton. And so the, the early stage like competitive tension remains to some 100%. degree. Right. 
Yeah, we're going to see down. some opportunistic plays on late stage for sure. Yeah, right? which is to be expected. Which is why we think like great time to do invest like late stage or oh, investing across the board. Yeah, but like later stage investing as valuations come down, I think this is when people start making returns. Making right? returns based on rational investments. Yeah, you know, yeah, not necessarily irrational investments on either side of the coin, but on good companies with strong fundamentals that right partners i think that's a massive opportunity now yeah and i think that's an extension of the need for the need for fiscal responsibility on both sides of the coin right it's it's becoming more and more important for companies as they go through this growth these growth stages but also for investors i think those that were able to reserve capital and deploy capital in in with proper due diligence earlier on have the ability to deploy capital as things shake up moving forward right so goes to show you how important fiscal responsibility you mean like having dry powder yeah that's a good point you feel like people you know investors will be much more price sensitive whereas maybe the past year looking at it a bit differently yeah i think it's it's not it's it's an issue of price sensitivity but also sensitivity towards financial performance of companies Right. It's it's I think it's become it, it needs to become a, a a bigger part of the equation, right? especially and across the board, I believe, not just towards growth stage, yeah. but earlier stage needs to have fiscal responsibility as well. Um, and I think that that's part of the, the 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 negative image that people have perhaps of tech investments is that the valuations are not really based off of anything. You know, a lot of the articles I was reading were sort of going over how this kind of party for startups that's been happening for the last at least two years with the, with the pandemic is, is over and um, not so much criticizing, but essentially sort of blaming this idea of growing at any cost. And so founders like really trying crazy new business lines or, you know, feeling like they can make mistakes and at any cost and not really worrying about that. I don't necessarily feel we have that problem in the region. The growth at any cost. Grow at any cost, make mistakes, and it doesn't matter how much they cost you. No, I mean, there you is a bit of it. Yeah. Yeah, you see some of it out there, and I think that's fine, and I think that's part of it. Some business models kind of require that also, right? Like the economics on their standalone product uh, are challenging regardless, and then the, the idea yeah. is that you consolidate a user base and you tack on ancillary business models to capitalize on the user base to boost profitability on aggregate. I think that's a model that will persist, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. there's been stuff where, you know, high profile stuff like Fetcher and AWOP, which were basically just like, you know, grow at any cost, no matter how you lose money, you lose on a unit basis. So there are kind of good regional examples of that not as much because the money is the capital isn't as fluid anywhere available here but i think there are, there are bad lessons picked up from like what happens in other markets like deeper markets and then people try to kind of apply that here i think fetcher awok are good examples of how it can go wrong because ultimately they were just highly subsidized products that's the big thing like highly subsidized unit you know, economics probably going to kind of get more rationalized as yeah uh, yeah well, i think that's definitely the case but Regardless, I mean, we have to be honest, like, uh, this has happened before, it's happening now, and it'll happen again. This is mm. cyclicality, right? So 
I think um, I think timing on the part of the founders and timing on the part of investors is probably the most important thing, right? Because this happened in the '90s, this happened yeah. in the 2000s, this um, happened recently, and it's going to happen in five years or three years or six years, and that those swings are part and parcel of. How we work, and not just us, but the, the Everybody, markets yeah. and the economy, and that's just you yeah. have to price that in. Um, so I think it's important to 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 try to maintain a dynamic perspective on these things um, because the nightmare today will not be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just don't know how long today is. Right? That's the that's the tricky part. Um, it's very yeah. Tragic. Very poetic. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, and uh, you know, having seen these cycles come previously and, and the current environment uh, and the need for responsibility and fiscal prudency, what, what kind of guidance should we be giving the founders in our portfolio, uh, some advice, some pieces of information that they should take into account when thinking about plans going forward? Yeah, I think we have like a, a spectrum of views. Yeah, yeah around the table. <laughs> Uh, we're actually like doing a thing, uh, like a presentation that we're gonna send to our portfolio companies. Hopefully next week. Let's uh, talk by tonight. Uh, by to, at midnight. Oh, okay. Done by midnight. <laughs> I want it out twelve oh one. I'm gonna be checking. Uh, uh, so like on guide general guidance as what to expect. We this like Nitin was saying. Like there's kind of like different views because on the spectrum of exuberance. So I feel like. Our founders are still not getting it. That is, the world is changing valuation-wise, availability of capital-wise. So we want to give some um, guidance as to what to look out for. Maybe like next week, we'll talk about what's in the what we put in there and what feedback we got from it, maybe yeah. as well. I don't think they're not getting it. I don't know. I don't feel. Uh... Well, it depends how it bearish depends what does it you mean are. And what does it mean for their industry, right? And what does it mean for yeah. where they are on their journey? Yeah. It's understandable, the psychology, though, right? Like, um, they see it, they see it happening. I think there's still a question mark around to what degree it's going to hit our markets mm. because we are buffered by yeah. some other aspects. To High oil price, etc. Oil prices and so on and so forth. Um, so that's there, but, like, ultimately, sooner or later, um, the only thing that's going to make anyone realize this, and if I put myself in, in the position of a founder, I will realize this when I get the direct feedback during a funding round, right? I'm still going to try to hit my target dilution and raise the money I want at the valuation I want. And I'm going to do that until someone says no, right? And I think that's logical. That's how how I would kind of do it. So, yeah, we're not seeing it right now. We're still seeing some competitive rounds out there for sure. Yeah. Um, But I will caveat that by saying that it's definitely skewed to the early-ish stage like up to pre-A, yeah. I would say, um, and a relatively smaller round size. But we are still seeing competition in those and, mm-hmm. and people getting the valuations thereabouts. We're seeing a little bit of contraction, but nothing crazy, nothing to get alarmist about. But I, the only point that I would emphasize here is what we're seeing today is not indicative of the trend of the next six months. Like, uh, sure. I think definitely it is going to get a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for sure. Um, and I think from, from my side, like I'm not, I'm not an alarmist on this, but I'm also not overly optimistic on it. If I was in the position of a founder right now, I would secure as much capital as possible um, and, and be willing to increase my tolerance for dilution. 
right? And that's going to mean something different to every founder. But if you have 24 months runway, um, I think you're in a position to excel. You're, you're in a position to, to own execute, the market. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and execute your business plan without compromising on growth. And I think that's the ambition. Yeah, I think like, yeah, the spectrum around the table is like on one side, it's like take as much cash as you can today and don't try to optimize for value um, because that'll hurt you later down the road. Like, yeah. like actually cash now matters a lot. So like it's important to kind of have the resources to be able to take the next 24 months. And also it's an opportunity to push out competitors. So um, that's, I think, from, you know, my side or I think we generally are agree on this broadly yeah Yeah. i think we definitely agree on that from a broad perspective but i like just to comp it to another crisis which was COVID. yeah i would not take that same alarmist approach as a founder where you're cutting marketing oh uh, waiting to see yeah yeah, agreed yeah sacrificing growth i think right now like what i would do is shore up enough capital as possible just to be able to execute the business plan right and and gain market share and see it as an opportunity because let's not forget COVID was two years ago, right? And it's fresh in our memories. And there were a lot of people that solidified their position during COVID. There are a lot of people, people that killed came out it. of that yeah. stronger. So killed it. yeah. it's important for a founder to see these times as an opportunity. And um, it's, it's it's an opportunity, right? COVID also was, was, was specific in a sense that if you operated in a particular industry, then you were, you had an advantage. Yeah, that's true. Whereas here, I think it's a little bit different. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, there's no winners and losers yeah. with like hyperinflation, stagnation, like, yeah, that's for sure. no low multiples. There's no, uh, yeah, and then like withdrawal of liquidity globally mm-hmm. will have an impact here at some point. Um, I mean, it's interesting to see, like, I think here we don't have, I mean, one thing is like we don't, the money supply and like monetary policy. So, like, right now the Fed is kind of cutting back on, you know, deleverage, like uh, cutting back on liquidity and, reducing their balance sheet. Um, we don't have much of like monetary policy does not affect us, which yeah. is pegged yeah. to the dollar. And what really affects us is like, you know, oil price, which is great now for the region. Well, for, for the GCC, for GCC yeah. you know, problematic for others, for like Egypt, Egypt Pakistan. Levant, uh, Turkey, uh, Pakistan. And then inflation there, you know, commodity driven inflation, not just energy inflation is a big problem. So there's 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 some kind of like interesting. Well, what's interesting to me is like there's once in a, you know, every 20, 30 years, like a really interesting economic dislocation, which is a bit unique. Like this is a bit different. Is this the kind of stagflation of the 70s? Kind of. But there's so much productivity gains from tech. Um, this inflation was the inflation that was purely driven by a shock, a very clear, you know, shock. Uh, de- uh, like a demand shock as opposed to supply shock, which is now leading to a supply shock. So it's kind of like, you know, like the um, huge stimulus in the US and Europe and elsewhere, like that has a plus the monetary policy. So we don't know how it's all gonna kind of unwind. It's just, uh, that's what I find like really interesting to see where where it'll all land, what it means for like our companies and uh, and, and our markets. But for our, for us so far, I think it's okay. Yeah, I think so far it's okay, and there's like many variables in the equation, and the bottom line is it's impossible to predict. Yeah. So the prudent thing is to prepare for, um, I don't want to say prepare for the worst case scenario, but prepare for a dark scenario, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, the prudent way to, to run a business.
but I think it's 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 important to to maintain with the point that you've mentioned before, which is actually see this as an opportune time to reflect inwards in terms of your unit economics. In addition to continuing to look at growth, but you've got to make sure that it's sustainable growth at this point. And the other opportunity that I think that is coming up is, you know, unfortunately, you're starting to hear of all these big tech tech companies globally laying off people, right? And as as they start to yeah. as they start to look internally again, they're realizing that they've got to reduce their headcount and laying off a lot of people. This is also an opportunity for regional tech companies to perhaps attract this talent into the region, right? Because yeah. We still yeah, have that point. Yeah. We're in a good place for it yeah. too. Yeah. We, we have like, we know what we need. We know what tech talent we need to bring in. And to a certain extent, we have more capital at this point to pay for this, right? So we're not as conservative on that end yet. Yeah. So it could be an opportunity, a good time. Yes. Hence not to forget Israel. I think, yeah, especially like somewhere like, so between Saudi and Dubai, I think in Saudi you have because of the oil windfalls, huge, you know, investments, right? They're making like, you know, huge budget, like big capex investments, right? Mm -hmm. Which allows us to kind of keep cash in the system that, you know, in theory could attract a lot of talent to the region. And then in Dubai, I think COVID, the overhang of COVID was because it remained mostly open. You have kind of like a flocking of talent from work from home. So you could see how this can position very well. Um, and with the rapid evolution of the regulatory yeah, it's also a driver. I think the talent outlook for uh, the GCC is, is good. positive, very positive. Yeah, yeah. The big thing, the crypto thing, the regulated, yeah. like so. Dubai announced, uh, you know, a regulatory regime for crypto and Web three generally, and apparently it's attracting like, like hundreds and thousands of people like here to yeah. set up companies to do things. And hopefully, we're meeting her next week. Yeah. The regulator but to kind of learn about what's going on but it's worth kind of thinking about what that means for us here yeah. in terms of like web3 and crypto because yeah. we're still figuring out what we want to do there yeah i think it's going to trickle down beyond that as well right like it's um it's quickly becoming a target destination for top talent right we see it in our portfolio company yeah. recently uh, more than one that have attracted like major international talent from international competitors doing the exact same thing yeah um, and I think that's really really exciting that that is a first actually I would say that's a first that hasn't happened that much and that's an opportunity coming back to the portfolio view though like uh, I don't think our view relative to a founder's view is, is the same right I don't think it's the same but I don't think it's as uh, different as one would perceive because Especially, especially as you're looking at the very competitive industries, like there are going to be coming back to to the this situation or any crisis being an opportunity. Um, there are going to be companies that, uh, especially in competitive industries, that are available. Right? So, it might be an interesting time to the to the well performing companies and the well financed companies um, that have solid economics to look at targets. Uh, yeah. Growth, yeah. Right. Like this is time when internal M and A strategies can be really quite inter interesting, um, and then they can be benefit right? like from from the valuation scenario. And I think that's there's a, we've seen a lot of very competitive industries okay. uh, that have emerged super quickly. Mm -hmm. right? Like B two B marketplaces is one, um, 
Healthcare. Healthcare. Fintech. So that, fintech. Fintech. Uh, yeah. Buy now, pay later. To mm-hmm. be more specific, uh, the Brex model mm-hmm. is another example. Like these are. There's a lot of companies doing this, right? And we always know there's there's like it's not a winner take all scenario in any of those, um, but it's not like ten can play. No, no, it has to be some... things flush out. So I think this is maybe the time for people to start thinking about consolidation as a yeah. strategy. Right? I think that's super interesting. And something we haven't uh, seen, much seen of. No. in our region. It, it could be a very useful evolution. Yeah, I mean, especially companies that are like well-funded right before this. Yeah. And then valuations come down, so it's easy to kind of acquire. The cost of acquiring goes down. Yeah, couple that with the growing access of debt to, yeah. to these companies, like it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I think that I mean, in some areas like BNPL, there has to be consolidation. For sure. It just doesn't make any yeah, sense. For sure. We have like you know 15 players in the space. I mean, someone's gonna not survive. Whenever it's um, I don't want to call BNPL a commoditized product, but yeah. it's, um, it's uh, the the aspects of differentiation. Are Difficult, right? Um, so I think that is a prime candidate for. I think we've seen some of that already start happening. In that's regional players. Zip acquired Spotty, I think. Who else was there? Afterpay went into Postpay yeah. as an investor. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess checkouts in. Tamara. Tamara. Tabby's standalone, but Tabby's by far the largest, I think. Yeah, but there's still the same number of players. Yeah. I wouldn't call that, that necessarily much, yeah. consolidation. No. No, I think there's good room for it. And I think it'll be interesting to see who will be able to kind of do that more and more. So yeah. we'll see how that kind of fleshes out. Yeah. Um, but what a great time to kind of think about investing, actually. Yeah. Like now, you know, it's, 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 see if like regional investors pull back or will they continue going? I don't know. I think they'll keep going. I'm not feeling so much like negativity here as much as you hear elsewhere. Yeah. I think it's a bit early. Maybe, maybe what we'll see is maybe some of the new pools of capital that had recently opened up to companies, specifically at the earlier stage, might take a bit more time and be a bit more mindful of where they place their capital, but we haven't seen any of that yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think um, it'll be a function of the historical investing style of different funds. Some have been very liberal with valuations, some have been in the middle, and some have been very conservative with valuations. Yeah. I think that mentality is going to persist, and the ones that were the most conservative are going to be the most sensitive first, right? yeah. So, and the most opportunistic first, and I think that's fair to assume. Well, perhaps part of it is, I think it's, it, it's safe to assume that perhaps if something that shakes up a bit that global capital will perhaps retract a little bit. But I think partly, it falls on founders and companies. You mean global inflows into the region? Yeah, global inflows retracting a little bit in terms of funding, but I think it partly falls on on, on founders and on companies to attract that back because there are so many opportunities to gain in these environments, right? Referring back to acquisitions, mergers, all of that, all of that. Um, so that, and perhaps the openness to debt as a product, that in itself, perhaps could actually stim- be a stimulus for these global investors to start looking back into the region, right? So, probably yeah, also for their portfolio. As well, if right? we're thinking of acquisition and probably also for their portfolios, they'll be, they'll, they won't take their eyes off the region for sure. Yeah. 
yeah, because they've been dipping their toes in because it's strategically a good region, right? And then it's how do we react in these times that ultimately impact um, how they continue fund, uh, deploying capital into the region. For. I think that's a good debate, actually. Like, uh, what do we think is going to happen to global inflows of venture money into regional companies? Do we think it's going to stay the same? Mm. Do we think it's going to increase? Do we think it's going to go down? Mm. So there's kind of two ways to think about it. First way is to say that like a lot of these lar- large invest like Tiger, for example, has dabbled in the region, invested a few, and like others like Tiger. Yeah. Um, they're all, all taking massive hits, right? So are they, and we know that they're generally retrenching globally, like, and then they're effectively like tourists here, like they, this is not a main mandate for them. Um, so it would make sense that they would retrench here first and like be there'll be less like global inflows. The counter argument to that is if oil prices stay high and like companies here are doing well, then and assuming there's a economic slowdown, not just like a market driven slowdown uh, in other markets in the, in, the, in the West or in the US or whatever, then searching for, you know, alpha, they would come here, right? They would come here, there'd be more flow here. So there's kind of two ways to think about it. I'm more on the first side because I don't think they've made money yet here to be super. I'm also on the first side. Yeah, I don't. I think they'll return. I think they'll kind of wait. This is not the main area for them. Yeah, yeah. It's never. It's never the core part of the strategy. No, no. Like it's, it's not part of their core. I think you can see like some some sprinklings of deals. Like there have been international funds that have set up offices here, which I think will persist, and those won't go anywhere. Yeah. And, and there's some soon to be announced big deals that have not been closed yet. Yeah. That prob- that'll, those will go through. Those will go through. But if we take like a 12 month view. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, I would, I would, if I'm coming back to the founder's perspective, I would put less of um, uh, a hope on international capital into the future. Uh, maintaining that, that prudent approach to 12 to month planning. Yeah, probably. Especially like these crossover funds, like yeah, yeah Tiger, whoever. I don't know how active they're going to be here. Yeah. SoftBank, etc. Yeah. Go to. I think partly that will need to be driven as well by later stage companies, right? So we need these, we need this huge inflow of early stage companies to reach later stages, to perhaps attract that as well, right? Because um, I think ultimately the interest, the global money capital interest, is in series b onwards right safe to say later stage um so once these companies do reach that level perhaps that in itself could attract global interest again uh, maybe yeah we'll see how it plays out i wouldn't bank on it no no i think it's tough to see how that's gonna kind of play out like that yeah but I mean, who knows? It's like one thing, the function of this market is there's so much variability, like an unpredictability. It's so hard to kind of understand what's going to happen next anywhere. You've got global geopolitical risk, got global inflation, uh, high oil prices. Um, you got in the US midterms now and then like presidential election two years. There's so much like up in the air. Um, it's like you said that, sorry. It's like you said the other time, it's like inflation but at the same time, it's fiscal policies that are actually working against that, right? And we're moving towards that. Yeah, I mean, you had like like this 
this kind of super cycle of like big fiscal stimulus mm -hmm. on, a, on a scale never seen before in the world, plus huge monetary stimulus on a monetary expansion on a scale never seen before. So, you know, and big supply chain issues because of COVID. So I think no one should be surprised that there's inflation. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised like nobody thought, I remember some people like, would talk about it and they just like laughed out the room and yelled at but I mean and I was thinking at the time that like I should throw away, I throw away all my econ textbooks because where's the inflation yeah. <laughs> turns out like I should get them back yeah. turns out like the inflation came it just took it wasn't instant it just took a while to kind of yeah. filter through yeah yeah I think that's I think that's true I think um yeah I don't know whenever there's so many variables in the equation that you can't solve for you just have to devise your strategy around eliminating variables. Mm -hmm. right? And that means, um, I mean, it's making me sound like a very, like, uh, sounding more bearish than I am. Not bearish, but non aggressive. And that's yeah. definitely not my, that's not, definitely not my style for those that know me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's difficult to make bold decisions during this time. But if you, if you can shore up the, the financing to, mm. to make big moves. You're, I think this is when you whether you're a, an investor or a portfolio, this yeah. is where you make the returns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you're in the middle of it, yeah. it's hard to take to make put your neck on the line. But yeah. actually, you know, this is the moment this when you kind of invest heavily. You get the opportunity to invest at like the low ebb of the cycle. Yeah, it's when you make money. Yeah, it takes a hell of a lot of guts. Yeah, God's conviction and having to be prepared to lose big. Yeah. You lose big if you get it. And wrong. you're going against the grain in a big way. Yeah. So you have to be willing to be called stupid for like a year. Yeah. And then it's going to Yeah. Or vice versa. Yeah. Or vice, or vice, vice versa. Good examples of them all around. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's um, we'll see kind of where this goes. But you know, the, I think a lot of our thing is what happened in the market. The last thing I, I would say about like regional variation is, you know, Tadao, the largest exchange in the region, is great. It's yeah. doing reasonably well. Yeah. And I think that's a function of the underlying oil price. And then the other big thing is Russia being removed from the MSCI index. You know, all these allocators have to put the money somewhere, mm -hmm. and the only place where they do it is where it's oil back, commodity back, yeah. is here. Yeah. So that's good. So that's, I think, a good, uh, uh, like a good undercurrent of what's happening. And like, obviously filters down to the real world economy and to startups and startup valuations and investment and stuff like that. But I, you know, you see how that kind of evolves, because at some point, you, you know, you have a huge difference in multiples between, you know, Tadawul and, uh, and, uh, uh, you like the S&P 500 or NASDAQ. Uh, the other thing is like now Aramco is now uh, the, the, the most valuable company in the world again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apple's just gone down and they're up. Which that's, great. that's something, yeah. But I think from our side, in terms of our investment philosophy over the next six months. I think we want to be aggressive. I think we want to be aggressive, yeah. I think we want to take our own advice. Yeah, I think we want to raise more money, get more money flowing through our platform whether in early stage or debt or growth or whatever, the maximum we can. And then I think if we place some like good bets, we should kind of pursue them aggressively and, and you know, put our money where our mouth is and make it, make yeah. it work. Yeah, and really, really back our, 
our founders. Yeah. And the founders we have, we should you know, have the capital for them available. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great.